What is the role of business within society? How do we build organisations that contribute responsibly and sustainably to the communities in which they operate? And what does responsible leadership look like as we continue to lurch from crisis to crisis? This is the Responsible Business Leading the Way podcast from the University of Bristol Business School, working with the CIPD. I'm Katie Jacobs from the CIPD, and over this limited podcast series, myself and Professor Veronica Hope Haley, Dean of the University of Bristol Business School, are speaking to a selection of inspirational and insightful leaders about what it means to be a responsible business. We want to know, in the aftermath of the pandemic, what has changed about how we work, how we lead and how we think about responsibility and trust in business. Because when it comes to building more responsible, resilient businesses and a fairer, more equitable society, there is still everything to play for. Episode 3. What leading through the pandemic has taught us about trust. Trust. It's what our institutions, our businesses, society itself are built upon and rely on. Yet, across the globe, our trust fund appears to be dwindling. This year's Edelman Trust Barometer, an annual survey of the state of trust across the world, warns against a weakening social fabric and deepening divisions, exacerbated by economic crisis, personal financial anxieties and high-profile leadership failures. Against that backdrop, is it any wonder that many of us just aren't feeling too trusting? There is one outlier, however, according to Edelman's research one institution that is still seen as ethical and competent by the global public. Can you guess? It's not government, not media, not even NGOs. It's business. And with trust in other areas plummeting, the public is expecting more societal engagement from businesses, not less. It's a powerful opportunity, an obligation even, for business leaders. But any heightened expectation brings risk with it too. Trust is essential in times of uncertainty and it's core to responsible business and leadership. It's hard to build and easy to lose and when organisations are accountable to multiple stakeholders with a wide range of needs and priorities, it can be complex to maintain. Our original research set out to investigate how leaders could act responsibly through the pandemic while maintaining the trust of employees and other stakeholders. We found examples of brilliant trustworthy leadership built on integrity, benevolence and transparency, reserves of trust built up over years that allowed leaders to be guided by purpose and an intrinsic sense of what the right thing to do was, even in the most difficult and, yes, unprecedented of circumstances. But if they were trusted then, can this trust remain indefinitely? How can leaders maintain trust when they face so many uncertainties, from economic crisis to climate change to the relentless march of technology? With so many leadership scandals, how do we rebuild broken trust? And what did leading through a pandemic teach us about trustworthy leadership? To consider these big questions, Veronica and I were joined by a big business leader, Brad Grieve, Chief Financial Officer of BAE Systems. I kicked off by asking Veronica to explain why and when trust matters most in organisations. Really, trust only matters when there's an element of uncertainty. A willingness to trust somebody means that if you are in an uncertain situation, 
you will step forward with confidence because you believe that the person or the organization asking you to take a risk or a step into the unknown is somebody who has your goodwill at the heart of their very being and that there is evidence that they act with an integrity and a transparency that gives you confidence even though you're operating in uncertainty. As CFO of such a large business, Brad Grieve has a pretty big job. It's the kind of job many of us can barely comprehend. But when it comes to his view of trust, well, that comes back to something pretty relatable from his childhood, as he explains. I was a Boy Scout. One of the things that you learn is the Scout Oath, and and the first one is trustworthy. So Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Those others that I still have them uh, burned into my brain, but trustworthy is the first one of those. So how has that Scout Oath informed his view of business? The biggest aspect of trust is to be able to be counted on, so to be relied on for something. So I think that's when trust kicks in is when there's that reliance, that sense of, can I count on this person or this institution? I mean, as a leader of a company like BA Systems, there's this massive group of stakeholders that we interact with and trust features in every single one of those relationships. When you think about shareholders, of course, Shareholders will rely and trust on you to run a company in the way that maximizes value for them. When you think about employees, of course, employees rely on you to pay a fair wage and to create a safe working environment and also provide fulfilling careers that give them growth and development. When you think about customers, of course, they're relying on you and our customers you know, rely on us to help them with, with the most critical aspects of national security. So there's this massive sense of responsibility and trust that exists with that relationship and suppliers to us, of course, rely on us and trust us to treat them fairly and pay them on time and, and those types of things. So pensioners, you know, they count on us and trust us to pay their retirement benefits. And then of course, governments and communities trust us to act responsibly and safely and protect uh, the environment that we're in and the communities that we work in. So, there, I mean, trust features in every single one of those stakeholder relationships, and you know, we see that every day. As Brad articulates, most organizations interact with a complex map of stakeholders on a daily basis, and all these stakeholder relationships require careful and responsible handling in order to generate trust. But when it comes to deciding whether an individual leader is trustworthy, all the research shows this comes down to four clear criteria, as Veronica explains. Somebody will judge whether someone is trustworthy by four criteria. One is, are they able to do their job? Competence matters. I don't want to go to 38,000 feet with a pilot that smiles at me that can't fly the plane. So let's just get really, really straightforward. Ability, competence matters. Secondly, Can I see an orientation to others? And this is a test of the second criteria of trustworthy leadership, which is benevolence. Can people see that a leader is oriented towards others? The third criteria is the level of integrity that they can see. That is often demonstrated in the decisions that they take. 
the value system that they pull down on in uncertain situations to guide their decisions. It usually involves some element of transparency and honesty. So integrity is the third area. And the fourth area, because human beings are actually not fools, is predictability. Can I see ability, benevolence and integrity demonstrated in a consistent, reliable fashion over a period of time. And there's this old Dutch proverb, which is that trust comes on foot and leaves on horseback. Trust is not instant because it's a very special gift to trust a leader and people don't give it quickly. They make a decision whether or not to trust a leader. So let's hear from Brad about how this works in practice. How does trustworthy leadership get embedded into company culture? It is a culture, and I think it starts with the purpose of the company. Our mission is to serve and protect those who serve and protect us. That is a really motivating purpose, and people connect to it across the entire organization. And when you think about that, it it is a service mindset, and leadership, for me, is service. I just think the purpose of the company just helps organize the culture to be a service-minded culture. And if that is just everywhere across the company's collective culture, then I think you're always going to be cultivating leaders who know that leadership is service. I think that resonates and manifests in different things. It certainly manifests in how we interact with our communities. We serve our communities. And all of our employees uh, and teams are, it's amazing, they use their own time to help impact communities. So this idea of serving the community and serving each other and serving our teams and serving our customer, that service mentality really is is everywhere. And I think that just helps us and makes it easy to self-organize. People who don't fit in that don't stay with us. And people who understand that and get that They love it. And it builds its own sort of self-perpetuating culture. The COVID-19 pandemic was the acid test of company culture. It put trust front and centre. Because, as Veronica explains, the more vulnerable we feel, the more we seek leadership. We want to be able to trust our leaders to guide us through the unknown. So public trust in institutions and businesses and leaders in the first year in 2020 actually rose. Now, this is very interesting. It's multi-stranded. Why do we get that response? Well, first of all, people were extremely scared and actually they felt very vulnerable and they actually wanted to trust because actually being able to trust in leaders, in institutions to try and sort out what was happening in terms of health, but what was happening in terms of food supply, transportation, you know, the basic essentials of everyday life. As Veronica says, this fear and uncertainty increased trust. But that's not the only reason trust went up. On the whole, organisations responded well to the first waves of the pandemic, stepping up to protect employees, customers, suppliers and communities. Just take the many examples of businesses diverting their manufacturing operations into making PPE. BAE Systems supports an extensive ecosystem of smaller organisations. A key part of its responsibility back in 2020 was to ensure the businesses in its supply chain remained healthy, prioritising paying on time and supporting those in distress. More than three years later, Brad reflects back on that time. 
how do we protect the whole value chain of the industry? And as customers were flowing cash down into us, we then had an obligation to make sure that we flowed down into our supply chain and kept them viable as they were going through the same uncertainties that we were going through. And so that the whole value chain was protected in that way. And then our shareholders, we made a decision as a board to suspend our dividend. And this was at a time where governments were giving you know, all these commercial paper programs, which we didn't participate in. But the idea that the government was putting out all of these measures to protect industry and protect the population, we didn't feel at that time it was right to pay a dividend. And our shareholders had to understand why we made this decision. We were very clear that this was a suspension of the dividend, not a cancellation of the dividend. And as soon as we were able to, to get some visibility on how the crisis was unfolding, three months later, we restored the dividend, we paid it, and everything was whole again. But that moment of trust was really important with our shareholders. And we had to, to talk to them about those decisions. They trusted us to ultimately do the right thing, which we did. Let's hear from Veronica on the significance of that decision and what it teaches us more widely. Now, that's a test of whether you've got trustworthy leadership across the organisation, because that's the ultimate form of uncertainty. You're in a pandemic. There's no rule book for you to follow. And therefore, people fell back into their own individual sense of what is the right thing to do. And that's the ultimate test of a trustworthy leader, not what they're told to do by the rule book, although there will always be some regulation in many industries. But actually, when the rule book doesn't give you any answers, what do you pull back on? It's a test of have you developed a cadre of senior leaders who know what their company stands for, who have a sense of personal integrity and have a shared sense of what is the right thing to do in a situation where there is no certainty. Knowing what is the right thing to do that will maintain trust in a very difficult situation. So it goes beyond the rule books, it goes beyond codes of conduct, and it goes into a very, very personal sense of responsibility and obligations to others. Veronica goes on to explain that during the second and third years of the pandemic, building and maintaining trust became more challenging. Some organisations began acting less responsibly than others, sometimes exploiting commercial advantage in doing so. And the shifting dynamic over working from home versus getting back to the office bred more mistrust in many quarters. And now, trust is further at risk thanks to the post-pandemic economic crisis forcing many businesses to make some tough decisions, as Brad explains. We, of course, have had to make some pretty hard decisions on increasing our wages across the employee base. And those are really difficult decisions because you've always got to balance, of course, affordability with what you do for the customer and make sure that you're paying a fair wage so that people can deal with these very real hardships that they're dealing with. So, you know, I think some companies did that well, some companies not so well. And I think some of the, the distrust came from the companies that didn't do it so well. So with trust in some areas weakening, how can leaders go about rebuilding it? And given leaders are only human, and all humans make mistakes, what is excusable when it comes to lapses in judgment? Let's hear from Veronica, then Brad. What people can't forgive easily are lapses in integrity. 
this integrity, knowing the right thing to do is so important because people find it extremely difficult to forgive lapses in morality, integrity, knowing the right thing to do. And that's why generating the right set of leaders who know what the right thing to do in a difficult situation is so important for maintaining trust. Trust in business, it needs constant validation. And I think with employees, it's frequency of communication and being, I think, consistent with the signal when you have those communications with employees. And if there's need to change the signal, whether it's from a you know, new strategy, a mistake made or a lesson learned, I think there's potential to lose trust if that change of signal, if that pivot isn't made without explanation. When the signal changes, no one knows why. So I think it's being frequent with the communication, being consistent with the signal, and that signal has to change, then I think you can build even more trust if teams see that you're explaining why the signal's changing. So again, it's this frequency of communication, it's this transparency, it's this consistency. And if you have to change, you've got to really explain to people why there's a change. It's not predictable. Why is this change? Oh, now I understand. The leader's telling me, the leader's brought us into the conversation. We understand why there's this change. So I think that's the key. I think consistency, clarity of signal, frequency of communication. And then if there's a pivot, there needs to be a very clear process of explaining to people why there's a, a pivot. But then there are the situations where trust breaks down entirely. And, unfortunately, it's not hard to find recent examples of shocking, unacceptable behaviour from organisations including the Met Police and the CBI. In those extreme cases, is it possible to rebuild trust? How, I ask Veronica, can leaders tackle a trust crisis? So let's go to the second part of this Dutch proverb. Trust comes on foot but leaves on horseback. And if you have the unfortunate experience of losing trust and going into what we would call a trust crisis, then it behoves everybody listening to this podcast to know what you need to do. First of all, the most senior person involved has to apologise and take responsibility. It sounds very obvious, but actually you will find some senior leaders squirm in a crisis and are not willing to step up and say, I take responsibility. That's the integrity piece. Usually then you order immediate investigation and you bring in somebody objective and neutral and you exit people who have been tainted by being close to whatever the breach of trust is. Whilst you wait for the investigation, you work tirelessly. Everyone across the whole organisation has to work tirelessly at demonstrating their ability, their benevolence and their integrity. When the investigation is reported, then the question for the senior leaders at the top of the organisation is this, and it's a really important question. Does this investigation show that this is the result of an isolated incident on the part of an individual, or is it representative of a larger culture? If it ends up as cultural and systemic, then you're into what the Met Police are into at the moment, which is a wholesale 
review of all their recruitment, their selection, their development, their talent management, how they choose their leaders, how they take decisions. Huge transformation, which will take years. If it's an isolated individual, do not imply the rest of the organization is untrustworthy because that takes people that have nothing to be ashamed of. That's why that question is so important. Is this isolated? Is it systemic? While leaders have a major part to play in building, maintaining, and if necessary, rebuilding trust, trust is relational. This means, explains Veronica, that we all, no matter where we sit in the organisational hierarchy, have a part to play. The other thing that I've learnt from researching trust and trustworthiness over the years, and particularly the focus on leaders, is that followers, employees, whatever you want to say, citizens, also have some responsibility in this. Some of the high trust organisations I've had the privilege to work with have employees who are also willing to forgive, not forgive the unforgivable, no, but are willing to forgive the odd lapse in ability and competence, particularly if that is accompanied by a genuine, transparent apology on the part of senior managers. We all make mistakes. And I think high trust is generated by employees and senior leaders having a sense of responsibility for creating that high trust environment. And strangely enough, that involves sometimes suspending judgment. We've become incredibly judgmental upon each other. I don't think the rise in social media has helped us. We're sort of trigger happy to send judgment down social media. You know, sometimes silence might be better than passing quick judgment, silence and reflection. There's something about the responsibility of followers in generating high trust environments. As we explored in the previous episode, the pandemic has shaken up how we live, work and feel about work. Many of us spend much more time communicating through a screen than we did pre-2020. What impact does that have on trust? Let's hear from Veronica, then Brad. Trust is a relational experience. It's judged by watching people's behaviour, not down a Zoom screen or a team screen, by watching everyday behaviour of one another, judging their ability, their benevolence and integrity, not just when they speak or when they're in a meeting, but as they move around an organisation. And I think people want those relationships. They want to be part of, of something that feels important, that is purpose they connect with. So I think it's a great moment of self-reflection for business leaders to figure out what can we do better here? Where can we improve? How can we make people feel more valued and engaged? Those are really healthy pressures now to put on business. So I think it, in some ways it's a silver lining of the pandemic. It's made, I think, more enlightened leaders figure out how do we create a better environment for people that want to come in now. Brad is definitely one of those more enlightened leaders. So to finish, I asked him to define the future of responsible business. It's about cultivating deep relationships and building mutual value over the long term that only deepen these relationships. It's the same in the future as it is today. It's about deepening those relationships across that stakeholder framework. Those relationships Brad mentions are nothing without trust. So, in an age of pervasive and growing mistrust, leaders and followers alike need to turn inward to reflect how, to borrow Veronica's proverb, we can prevent the trust we do have from galloping off 
into the sunset. Thanks for listening to the Responsible Business Leading the Way podcast, produced by the University of Bristol, working with the CIPD. Find out more about the Business School's research, courses and opportunities to collaborate at bristol.ac.uk. And if you want to read the original research this series is based on, search Responsible Business Through Crisis at cipd.org. Music